Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Was that your tummy gurgling in the middle of that sentence? I don't think so. Maybe. Oh. Oh, maybe, maybe it was. It was my tummy. Oh, anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> I will cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> It's the 11th of April 2019, I'm Simon Copland. And I'm Benjamin Riley. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about body image. We have recently joined Lip Media, uh, an LGBTIQ podcast network here in Australia, and super stoked to be on board with them. It's really awesome, we're very at home amongst the other shows on the network, and uh, it's really exciting to be collaborating with them on uh, all sorts of good things that we will have coming up over the next uh, little while. And another little bit of news is that we've started an Instagram account. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you, you know, if, if our Facebook account and our Twitter account aren't enough for you, uh, go and check us out on Instagram. We're on Instagram at Queers Podcast. Uh, we've got all a bunch of great images up there as well. So go and check us out on Instagram. Be on Instagram. I, you know, I only joined Instagram for the first time. Uh, like last year, yeah. I feel like, well, I ever since I, you. Hmm? I started following you. Oh, nice. I'm never really on it now. I always forget that I have it, but like ever since I left Twitter, you know, ish, I feel like I talk about this every episode. It's probably obnoxious. I, I should <laughs> go to Instagram more. It seems like a friendlier place. And Instagram just people is posting pictures of their cats and food. You don't, you don't have ridiculous fights on Instagram. You just have lovely photos, and it's quite nice if you just yeah. want something to like. And you, and you know, if you follow people from around the world, you can get photos of different places. And sometimes it's cute dogs. Sometimes it's hot boys. Sometimes it's nice scenery. It's like a nice little mix. I feel like I'm much more into feeling bad about myself because my life is not as good as other people than. Because people are yelling at me. <laughs> like, I'll See, take like, I'll take one over the other. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd choose that one. Something that I also wanted to talk about, which I didn't actually flag with you before we started the opening of this, this recording, is that our Patreon, you know, we've been doing it for a while, and, and given that this episode is actually spun out of a conversation that we had on a Patreon-only episode, which you would hear if you subscribe to our Patreon, I think we need to like come up with some sort of a like a subscriber drive to think of like some sort of um, competition or like incentives or something to convince people to 
to to sign up to Patreon because we're you know we're making good stuff I think on the Patreon only episodes yeah and it's I just agree. five bucks a month yeah I agree maybe let's let's think about that but I think you know you don't want to you don't want to pull anything out of your ass right now <laughs> I'm not good at that kind of stuff okay. <laughs> <laughs> it takes me time to think about things um, no me too it's okay. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I mean, for our listeners, you know, maybe this is just a little push to, you You know, go and check out our Patreon. We have new episodes up there. We have extra content. Uh, we're getting better at posting stuff. You know, it takes a little bit of time to develop this, but, you know, go and check out our Patreon because I think it's really great and it's really great to get the support of everyone as well. Yeah, we do actually spend time and effort on putting those episodes together. So, which, which is, uh, you know, the whole point that it is this kind of little, um, bonus for, for subscribing at a particular tier. So... Uh, Go and have a look. For our latest Patreon episode, we had a discussion about body image in queer communities. We quickly realized as the episode dragged on over the amount of time that we usually set aside for these things that it was something we wanted to have a longer discussion about. So today we thought we'd launch into it. Our interest in this comes off the back of the release of Attitude Magazine's Body Issue, an issue of the magazine apparently dedicated to celebrating the vast array of body types that exist in the gay community in this instance. Looking at the images, however, we could not help but notice a uniformity, buffed and slim muscle gaze. The attitude example raised an issue that is frequently discussed within queer communities. There is a deep debate about how different bodies are represented within queer spaces, and also a growing recognition that parts of the queer community have significant issues when it comes to body image. So today, we wanted to examine body image in the queer community. How are bodies represented within queer communities? Where do expectations of queer bodies come from? What impact do these expectations have? And what can we actually do about it? Simon, this is often quite a personal topic. Do you have any experiences with body image issues within queer spaces? I mean, I think nobody who is in a queer space probably doesn't. Um, Mm. I'd be surprised uh, if anyone doesn't. I think that... It's so prevalent uh, within queer spaces in a, in a, in a different uh, variety of ways. And I think that's something I'd like to get into because, you know, we're both gay men and I think it's very particular in gay spaces, um, although it, there's varieties within that as well. But I think it is different across different elements of the queer community. And I think that there's something interesting about that that it's worth talking about um, today. But yeah, absolutely, I have. I, the first thing I thought of when I was thinking about this question was uh, growing up uh, sort of as a sort of late teenager, I am a very hairy person. Uh, I've got lots of chest hair, lots of, lots of, lots just, I've just got hair everywhere, basically. Um, <laughs> and my first, and I, and I hated it when I was, a, when I was a teenager, I hated it. Um, I really, really didn't like having body hair. And part of that wasn't just the part of that was just being a teenager. Like I was, you know, getting hair under my armpits before anybody else was. And people like to tease me about that. But I think part of it also started to, when I started to uh, engage it, when I started to sort of recognize my being gay uh, sort of and looking at the at the representations of gay, gay people it just sort of wasn't at that time something that you saw very much of it wasn't something that was celebrated and I remember uh, my first boyfriend my first proper boyfriend uh, one night coming over to my place and he had no I think we had messaged beforehand and he had was waxing his back and it was just like a 16 or 17 year old waxing his back oh wow uh, and he was like then came over the next time and he brought over wax because he was super keen for me to wax my back as well Ooh, that's, um, that's intense yeah and i got out of it that night and i you know but part of me really wanted to do it because i hated my hair so much but then i managed to sort of like 
get out of it at the same time. I, you know, I didn't want to do it right then or something like that. But I had this thing of wax that he left at my house that I sort of carried around for like for like a year. Um, you know, but then I eventually just was like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, and we broke up pretty pretty quickly after that. But you know, I remember thinking about I remember thinking about how much. I hated my body hair and this sort of like pressure to, to, to get rid of it, you know, that that existed. Uh, and I never did it. Um, but I, and I'm glad I never did it. Uh, but you know, it was, it's something that, that, that sticks in my mind quite a lot. Uh, and since then, you know, I think that there's been some change in perceptions and, you know, hair is now kind of in, which is great for me. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that that, you know, it was a good example. And I think it's actually an example of how body perceptions change a lot as well, because, you know, later down the track, I, I've become super comfortable with my hair, uh, and super comfortable with my hairy chest and all that kind of stuff. But I think that, you know, those kinds of things happen all the time in these, in queer spaces. Uh, and it's, you know, to me, it's interesting about what, what drives that and how it changes across time, I think is super interesting. I mean, what about you? Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've had body image issues really as long as I can remember. I remember being, so I'm, I'm very, very tall. Um, and ha- have I'm always, always surprised about how tall you are when I see you. I know. Totally. Well, like, like I think even people who see me in person a lot forget for whatever reason, forget that I'm very... Like, I'm one of the tallest people I know. I'm six foot six. Yeah, yeah. So, and, I, and I'm dating two tall boyfriends, and, like, you're taller than both of them, so, like, I'm used to tall, but you... Yeah. Anyway, I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to dig into your body issues here, <laughs> like, having... Well, no, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying you are tall. I am very tall. So, um... So, the height is part of it in that, like, particularly when I first started going to gay bars and or clubs I guess more particularly uh I have always felt really uh like on a dance floor in particular like everyone can see me from everywhere which they can I can see everyone else and I I can't just like blend into a crowd and it it just made me feel uncomfortable about dancing for a really long time uh about like going to those spaces because I just would would stand out and always feel really self-conscious. The other, uh, I mean, that's kind of one thing. I'm also, like, I have, like, some weight. Like, I'm not by any means, like, a, a, a big guy. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, fat. I don't think anyone would, would say that. But, but I have some, like, some fat on my chest and my stomach that I have for my entire life been self-conscious of. And have been unable to get rid of. Uh, and I remember even as a young child, like I remember being like 10 years old and wearing jumpers in summer to hide my chest because I was like so self-conscious about it. I'm still super self-conscious about it. And I think uh, it, it's always felt like, like I was interested when you said you know, talked about being hairy and how that kind of, you were self-conscious about it and and now it's kind of more in. I think part of the reason why I'm really cynical about uh, the embrace of like big kind of hairy bodies as, as a positive thing is because I have a body that is kind has kind of never and I can't imagine ever will be the kind of ideal body type within mm-hmm. gay communities. Uh, in that I'm like tall and lanky, but I'm also I also have body fat that I don't like, uh, and that that is not attractive, you know. And so I like I feel like 
the paradigms of attractiveness might change, uh, but they're still ultimately these kind of hierarchical, like it's still ultimately about a particular archetype um, that you may, that people may or may not be able to get close to achieving. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I'm not, I wasn't saying that necessarily as a positive Shift. Oh no! Totally, yeah, yeah. Just maybe a beneficial shift for me in some ways. Definitely, um, definitely. Yeah. In terms of like my own, not not in terms like not, and I'm not saying that as like oh, it means I get like extra all this extra attention. But I mean, in terms of my own like self confidence, mm, um, mm. it sort of has been beneficial. And that's just me being honest. And I've thought about this before about how like those shifts have you know we're now at a time where you know, I think people are into gay rugby teams and, you know, the gay, you know, the sort of gay rugby dude or the the, the, the muscle hairy dude. Uh, and I'm, I'm closer to that stereotype. Although sure. I think that probably pushes me in some ways subconsciously to sort of constantly, you know, be wanting to do that more. Uh, and yeah, I was, is- I was about to ask, how do, I mean, how does that manifest? Yeah, I don't know. Cause I haven't, you know, I, I think that, I mean, I think it probably does, manifest in a way that sort of drive yeah i'm sure it drives me to want to do it more or to sort of lean into it i guess um it helps for me that i mean i think that you know i I did play rugby for a couple of years and this is why i brought that up because you know i really and i really enjoyed that but there's no doubt that part of that enjoyment uh not the entirety of it but part of that enjoyment was the you know, the, you know, the sort of the picture, you know, the, the image in my head of being the gay rugby dude and the sort of perception I had of that. And I've spoken to a friend of mine who plays for a gay rugby team in uh, Melbourne, uh, and he has frequent complaints about players who will um, sign up to the team, uh, take lots of photos of them being gay rugby dudes, and then never turn up to training or turn up to games. <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, players that he knows that, you know, they, they go, they went overseas last year. And so they did like for a, for a tournament, for an inter- there's an international tournament that happens every two years called the BM Cup. And, you know, they would, uh, <laughs> you know, and so the, the team was selected and people who could afford to go, et cetera. And they did a photo shoot of players in their, in their tops. And he was telling me about like people who wanted to, uh, like get in on that, um, you know, to, to, to participate in that, even though they weren't going, you know, and that sort of like sure, perception sure. that happens all the time of, you know, there's this sort of like desire to be seen being that person, uh, when you're not actually engaging in the, in the activity. Um, and, and I think that's totally true. And I reckon I could see that in the team that I was in as well, that the image of being a gay rugby dude was sometimes more important than playing the actual sport. Um, and so, yeah, so there's definitely, a, I think a, a push for like, that is now the thing that, you know, that gay space is like. Uh, and that doesn't make it healthy either because you're right. There's still a hierarchical um, picture and, you know, what, you know, there used to be the, you know, probably the, the more slim gays, the small, uh, you know, were sort of the archetype and now that's changed and now being slim and, and more feminine is, is considered not sexy anymore in, in sort of mainstream um press and mainstream uh you know pictures of what it means to be gay uh and now it's more hairy and hairy and buff dudes and you know it changes but it doesn't make it a good change it just means that you, know, yeah. you have different people at the top of the pile i mean I, I i don't think that the changes are arbitrary though i i no i agree with that too yeah yeah i mean i think that in two quite different ways this makes me really want to talk about masculinity which is mm-hmm. interesting because it's a it's a it's a topic that you and I have disagreed on in the in the past 
but I think like I guess the first point about the kind of aesthetics of of body image like it seems like I feel like in the past uh decade or so maybe even less uh there's been a shift not just among gay men but I think it it's exemplified among gay men of a like a kind of new masculinity a return to uh a a, a certain masculine aesthetic that is characterized by beards, by hair, by different body shapes, by uh, even like I always think about the like hipster barber shops yeah, that yeah. are just like fucking everywhere now. Uh, or, or, you know, maybe were like really massive like five years ago or so. There was like this big kind of in Melbourne. In Melbourne, at least, there were just, like, there seemed to be a new hipster barbershop opening every week. There's quite a few in Canberra now as well. Yeah, so it's just, like, guys with mustaches and aprons, like, shaving with a straight razor. And really super expensive. Um, Super expensive. They would, And they'll give you, like, a beer as you wait and sit down. And it's... (laughs) it's I go to a place like that. No, I don't. Mine is more of a chain, but it's, like, they do give you a beer before you wait. Yeah, sure. And and I guess I, I just... I find... Uh, like the the quality of the haircuts, notwithstanding, I find that stuff really gross because it it's just this kind of like uh, it it feels almost like this like this sort of Reddit style masculinity, but people not wanting to kind of call it that. Like it's people kind of wanting to take on the aesthetics and the kind of bits of mass of that like what is in a lot of ways a really gross kind of masculinity, like that comes from a time uh, you know when. Uh, uh, men were much less conscious about how to treat women and how to treat, you know, people who were not masculine and, and, but take on all those aesthetics as a positive thing. And so to kind of go into those spaces and like, what am I trying to say? I guess, I guess I'm trying to say like, it seems like a way for men in the 21st century to try to claim a, uh, to feel okay about a version of masculinity and couch it in a way that that looks like it's just about aesthetics, but I think it's actually also about the kind of um, wanting to go back to the simplicity and power of a certain old school kind of masculinity as well. Yeah, I see what you're saying, um, and I and I can uh, yeah I can I can understand what you're saying. I, I haven't thought about it in that way before in terms of these spaces. Um, so my initial reaction is I'm not quite sure, um, because yeah, we, as you said, we have, I, my, my issue with masculinity is always that I don't actually know what exactly it means. And the, and I, and I find sure, it a not sure. particularly useful tool in many ways, but the, you know, so, so taking that term away, what you're describing as a, as a, as a culture, I think is, is super true. And you think about those barber shops and they're super blokey, they're super like, but in this kind of odd, like. I'm super progressive blokey kind of way, but yeah, is, it, no, is exactly, it not necessarily? Exactly. You know, and is, is it actually like that? And I think that, but I think what's interesting about that is that how that exists, and that is not just a gay thing, that's a very straight thing as well, that like that crosses over those boundaries very yes, clearly. Yep. Uh, and so what is it that, that, you know, and this is where I think that there's some questions about body images. And I think, you know, we, we sort of frame this as body image, but questions about body in itself, you know, what is, what is the perceptions of body um, mm. in queer spaces and how does that interact with straight spaces? Because I think that there, you can see those links that it's not just beards that have, um, it's not, it's not just that beards have become a thing in gay communities, it's become, they've become a, a, a more of a thing in, in community, in society in general, I think at least in a, in a place like Australia. Um, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily true in other parts of the world, but it definitely is here. 
Um, and so there's clearly connections there and about maybe is there sort of a, um, a striving to be, you know, this is, you know, going back to some sort of assimilationist style politics of striving to be sort of the same in some ways. I think that you could talk about masculine ideals of, uh, the desire to, um, you know, particularly the sort of the beardy muscly dude is a desire to be seen as, uh, sort of that, you know, your stereotypical dude, because we are not like other people, you know, we're not, we're, mm. sorry, we are like other people, we want to be like other people. And so how do you know, is that part of it? And is that, is it a coincidence that that has occurred at the same time as we've had a sort of a marriage equality politics that has really been about us being the same as, as straight dudes. And so, you know, is that, is, is part of the body image stuff related to that, 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 that politics. And I think that there's a potential in there. I haven't sort of thought about that in depth but I'm thinking about it now, and I think that there's something that we could that could be said about that as well. Oh, I think absolutely. I feel like the the kind of link to gay uh, bodies and and gay uh, image, like yeah, I totally see the kind of beard stuff and the kind of and because it's more like beards are kind of like a nice symbol of it, but it's a lot more than that as well. It's it's uh, all of the. Yeah, I don't know the the kind of rise of bear culture and the rise of like like it's a it's it's a return to a kind of uh like the the uh, a, a gay masculinity of the seventies almost mm. um with the kind of clone look of you know like leather and and mustaches and muscles and and all of that that feels to me totally like this we very are not Tom of Finland very Tom of Finland yeah. That that's very and it, you know it has a bit of a different spin I think in the yeah. the contemporary era but uh, is all about you know we are not feminine we are not uh, we can be gay and also masculine um, it's kind of the the uh, I'm doing a lot of reading at the moment for for my my research around um, uh, I guess respectability politics but like kind of normalizing politics in in queer communities and it feels very much about the kind of attempt to uh, create a kind of gay identity that erases the visibly gay parts of itself. Mm -hmm. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And I think that 
this is where we can transpose it to the uh, other parts of the queer community that aren't, uh, you know, we two gays. Uh, and, you know, I have We a two gays, that's an alternative name for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't mind it, actually. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I have a couple of uh, friends, lesbian friends or, you know, uh, queer women friends who uh, one of them would I, you know, I think she would, I'm not sure if she'd identify as a butch lesbian, but she talks about that a lot, uh, about, you know, about butch lesbians and the sort of how there's kind of a, a slow erasure of butch lesbianism as a thing and that there's an increased focus on the sort of feminine lesbian. Uh, and I think that, the, you know, that there can be, you know, it's a similar sort of assimilation and that's uh, politics of the, you know, the the lesbian being feminine, the lesbian being, you know, tall, blonde, you know, beautiful, uh, getting rid of that sort of picture of the lesbi- of lesbians being butch um, because that is kind of uh, crossing over the boundaries of what it means to be a woman. And that is something that it's sort of, again, is er- erasing the lesbian-ish, the, the lesbian, the, erasing the lesbian off the, out of the lesbian in some ways. Yeah, um, sure. And... I think that that's very similar to what we're seeing in gay communities. And I think it's interesting because the dynamics are different. Um, it, p- p- partially because, uh, you know, when we talk about things like the press, you know, we started with Attitude Magazine as an example of this. When we talk about the press, you know, the press, you know, queer press is very gay dominated. So a lot of this imagery stuff comes from the press in many ways in gay communities. But, you know, I'm intrigued about where those sorts of uh, changes in expectations or those, not those, sorry, where those expectations or where those image stuff comes from in other parts of the community where, sure. you know, it's where it's not as dominant, where the press is not as dominant, where a lot of the spaces, you know, a lot of gay, a lot of queer spaces are, again, gay dominated. And there was the uh, the, the controversy uh, earlier this earlier this year or late last year around um, Poof Doof in Melbourne, which had a lot of this sort of body image stuff, but again, a gay-dominated discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we see similar sorts of issues happening in, in lesbian spaces, certainly. And I mean, I think, you know, if we talk about intersex and trans communities, they obviously there's a whole range of different relationships with the body that exists within those oh, communities as well. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, and sort of... Uh, some parts of, you know, trans discourse and intersex discourse that is related to people passing and looking like some, you know, looking like a normal, inverted quotes, in quotes, a normal person. And what does that mean? And and, and how does, what does that do about, you know, what does that do to trans and intersex identities in, um, you know, and and how is that expectation to pass, sure, affect yeah. body I, image in those and sorts of ways? And I think that words. there are, like, those threads really i mean I, you know i'm, I'm not going to claim that it's the same for for gay and lesbian people as oh, absolutely. For, for trans and intersex people but i but i do think that there are uh, interesting links like the idea of passing does is is kind of across all queer people i think uh in one way or another like passing as straight passing as cisgendered yeah um and it maybe means different things but i but i'm also unwilling to say that it's it's uh unrelated i think i think those those threads are absolutely there so to to go back to your uh example about uh lesbian communities i i, I feel like i heard a story recently that was uh, almost the opposite uh from what you were saying and that that points to me to a lot of the complexity here in uh the queer reading group that i run there we were talking about uh we were reading i can't even remember what the text was now, but for some reason we were having a discussion about. Literally, can't even remember what the discussion was. But one of the <laughs> this one is a of the group, story, well, I know one of the group participants, uh, a, a queer woman, was talking about experiences she had had, particularly when she was coming out into lesbian spaces, 
and being policed for not looking lesbian enough mm, that people would in uh, like at lesbian parties and things constantly kind of come up to her and, and accuse her of not like that she wasn't supposed to be there, uh, which is something I found fascinating. And I think is something that I have seen. I, I think that gay men fetishize straight men too much for that to happen in gay spaces, like yep. gay male spaces, because, you know, like gay men just want to like, you know, turn straight men uh, and fuck them. So it doesn't play out in the same ways. But I do think that in explicitly queer spaces that this happens a lot. I think about it like at oh, uni totally. all the time. God, like my, I had so many experiences at uni that, that really kind of turned me against those spaces a lot of attempting to go to queer parties or queer events or, or like anything that was slightly more kind of alternative and that there was totally this kind of hierarchy of queerness that the more kind of alternative you looked, the more, uh, uh the more queer you are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, yeah. but like, Absolutely. but like aesthetically queer, you know, like it was, it's all about aesthetics. Like, like if yeah. you looked like you were, um, breaking whatever boundaries, then you were more acceptable. And anyone who looked like quote unquote normal would be really judged in those, in those spaces, which is, yeah, I don't know, which certainly felt shit at the time. I have experienced that as well. And I think, I mean, I think uni is a perfect example of it, but I think that there are plenty of sort of queer parties where this happens as well, where you go and you're, you're not alternative enough. You're not queer enough uh, to be there or you're kind of judged for that. Uh, And I think what's interesting about that for me is it goes to that sort of final question we were asking at the start of this about, I mean, what can we do about these things? And I think that uh, those people would say that this is that sort of changing that their practices are uh, as a response to this about, you know, accepting all bodies and, and, you know, accepting all desires and all practices and, you know, all aesthetics and sort of celebrating that. But I think that it actually in some ways then ends up creating a new hierarchy uh, and a lot of these subcultures. And we and sort of in the Patreon episode, you went on a little bit of a rant about the bear community, about how, you know, it creates <laughs> it just creates different hierarchies um, because, okay, now in, in the bear community, you have to be bigger and hairier and blah, 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 blah. In the... Uh, in queer communities, you have to be the more alternative, the more queer you are. And if you're not that, then you're not queer enough. You're not trying hard enough. You're not, you know, deserve to be in that space. And- Though, look, I've got to like, I, I, I don't, I also don't want to make a kind of false equivalency here because I, as, as much as I think that they're, they're similar, similarly shitty uh, situations, I will state, and, and this is probably a, a realization that I've only come to relatively recently or something I've been thinking about relatively recently. Uh, I 100% think that the, like, queer version of that is better than the other version. Like, I, by and large, have had much better, friendlier experiences in those spaces where a diversity of bodies and and shapes and and looks is more welcome than, say, like... uh, like, I don't know, I had this experience over the Mardi Gras weekend, and obviously this is just, like, one example. Yeah, but yeah. went to this, like, very queer party uh, that was so much fun. It was, like, one of the most, maybe the most fun I've ever had at, like, a queer party, and had a really great time. Everyone was very, very friendly. Uh, very, It was very, very mixed. Lots of, like, people of all genders, all different ages. Uh, you know, it was great. And then 
uh, later that night, I had I said, tickets to another party that was more of a like bear party. Yep. And I got there and I was just like, oh, fuck. Being in a room full of like really masculine dudes, if you are not that, is really awful. <laughs> you know, like, like is really, like people will just treat you like shit. So I, like, I feel like treating people badly because they don't fit a particular aesthetic ideal in any situation is bad, right? Mm-mm. But um, yeah, I guess I just don't, I don't want to... I don't want to say that those like queer spaces are like as bad as the kind of really hyper masculine ones, for yeah. example, because I just don't think that they yeah, are. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's fair. And I, and I um, have had amazing experiences at queer parties as well. Like we went to the, uh, oh God, I've just gone blank on the name. Um, oh, the ball in Sydney for Mardi Gras. Um, we went to, we went to an event in Mardi Gras the week before at the, at the carriage works. It's called the something ball. I've, ah, I've just gone completely blank. Oh yeah. Um, no, I can't remember. Anyway. And it was, you know, it was this kind of very queer event. It was based off New York balls and we had a great time. We, it was excellent. And, and I certainly didn't feel judged in that space at all. Um, despite our, the sort of normativity that we, that the three of us presented in many ways. Um, but, uh, so I think that it can happen in those spaces. I think when it does happen, it can be you know a similar sort of hierarchical thing i think mm. it's less likely to happen in those spaces than it does in in you know and i think you're right that in a space like a bear event or well, a regular also, game maybe maybe it's also like so many of the examples i can think of of the reverse uh like around uni so maybe it's just about like kind Student of politics. You know, people in their to- well totally like people in their early 20s are kind of shit <laughs> often around that sort of stuff yeah, but, uh, you know... Like, it's a time when you're coming out and the stakes feel really high and you... Yeah, there's maybe more policing going on for that reason. Yeah, that's potentially true. So, one thing that I thought would be also good to bring up quickly... Uh, not even quickly, but one thing I wanted to bring up uh, is the question of race that plays into all of this. Um, I mean, we've discussed... Have we discussed, you know, racial issues? I'm sure we have, uh, particularly around... I mean, it's such a big topic in again, gay communities around, you know, uh, dating apps, uh, where race is mm. really something that is, that, that comes out. It's, I think it's the, the best example. And I've used best in a mean, in a, in a means of like, it's the most obvious example of where racism is really rife within parts of the gay community or the queer community more broadly, when you see sort of dating profiles that say no Asians and things like that, that awful kind of stuff. Um, but I think that there is something about, uh, how race plays into all of these questions. Um, and definitely, I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I think I've read a lot about, for example, in the, in the example of, of, of no Asians or, you know, a sort of discrimination against the Asian community is the, um, the assumption of an effemininity to Asian gay men that yes. then plays out. And I think that there's something about, you know, if we're talking about sort of the big muscly dudes, the, uh, the picture of Asian men not being that and how that plays into, both an internalized homophobia, but a racism as well. Like I think that those two things totally. co- coalesce or come across, uh, sort of work together there. Um, and, I, and I think that's a like a thing we we would be remiss to to miss in this in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's it's worth saying that as, as always when we're talking about hierarchies and archetypes, I guess in in uh, as we have been throughout this conversation, those archetypes are white, um, absolutely. And I think that. There are, uh, you know, like it, it's kind of gross to talk about, but I think important to acknowledge that there is a kind of racial hierarchy among gay men, that gay men kind of fetishize different races, people with different ethnic backgrounds in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that 
um, for example, like Middle Eastern men, the kind of stereotype or imagined Middle Eastern men might be more able to fit in with that kind of masculine ideal. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about reality. I'm talking about the kind of um, imagined version of this person. Uh, whereas, as you're saying, Asian men are coded as feminine by most gay men, uh, whether that's, you know, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, and so it, uh, and so they're automatically kind of excluded from an archetype, fr- from a paradigm that places really a particular kind of masculine archetype at the top, uh, which is, um, which is really gross, you know, like this is as much about gender presentation and identity as it is about race. And the intertwining of those things. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting to... I mean, we, we again, I'm really interested about how this stuff plays out beyond the, the, the gay because I think that, you know, when we're seeing increased representation of, uh, for example, very high-profile trans people in our community, in sort of in the press, what is it that um, makes someone... You know, I'm thinking about people like Laverne Cox or Caitlyn Jenner, for example. What is the the body image that they need to represent to be able to get that access to to get to that space? Um, mm. And 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 you know, and I, and I pick out those two because you have the the difference in race there. And you know, I, I don't feel like I know enough about this to delve into it, but it's something I'd like to delve into a little bit more, maybe at a later episode, or we could do a bit more research about it around. Or I mean, this might be actually maybe something that'd be great for an interview with someone who has a bit more knowledge in the area about representation of trans bodies in these spaces and how yeah, race totally. inter- how race interplays into that. Because I think that those dynamics certainly play out, and that there is a a, a need for a picture when someone of color does get sort of elevate, does manage to get to the top that they have to sit into a particular picture, a particular stereotype and they have to fit a particular mold. And it's much harder for those, for people of color to get into, to get into that space and they have to do a lot more work. Um, I, I think. Um, and so th- those racial dynamics run across different elements of the community in very different, different, but very similar sorts of ways, I think. Uh, and I mean, I think it, in gay spaces, it's so obvious because it's just the, the racism is so blatant in so, so many spaces yeah, and totally. it's been discussed so much, but in other spaces, I think there's potentially more subtlety that exists in the discourse, or maybe there isn't, maybe, maybe there's just other ways that I don't, you know, I'm not as aware of in many ways, but, um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we talk about trans women of color, of course, are people who, who suffer immense amounts of violence. So there's definitely obvious, very obvious experiences of racism that exists across those communities, but. I'd be intrigued about how those sorts of racial dynamics play out differently and how different expectations of the body play out differently across yeah. different communities. And I guess the the ways that, yeah, I guess like different um, uh, racial identities are, are, are coded differently in terms of gender and in terms of sexuality and like what is implicit in, uh, you know, like the idea of the, the black woman is, is not just the idea of the black woman. It, it kind of carries all of this other cultural baggage that that means um xyz thing about gender and means xyz thing about you know i don't know any any other sort of like lines of power mm. which yeah i feel like is is kind of beyond uh certainly beyond my experience but but probably beyond my knowledge and awareness uh to to talk about in much more detail yeah but maybe there's something we should i think i think it's certainly something we should investigate and maybe find some some great interviewees who could who could talk about that in more depth yeah that'd be great 
Thank you all for listening. Uh, as we said at the start of the podcast, we're doing a lot of work on our Patreon and we've just uploaded a new episode uh, that is uh, sort of was the starting point for this longer episode. The Patreon is going really well, but we'd really love some more support on it. Uh, there's new content. We're getting better posting new ideas. We've got some great ideas for future content that we want to post on there as well. Uh, so please go to patreon.com forward slash queers podcast uh, and sign up and it would be really a great way to support the podcast. Otherwise, if you'd like to get in touch or make a comment, there are multiple ways you can do so via the internet. You can email us at queerspodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter, both at queerspodcast. And Instagram now. Oh, and, and Instagram now. Also, we're just at queerspodcast on Instagram, are we? We are. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, we also have personal social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. Simon's on Twitter at Simon Copland. And he's also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. You can also find the podcast on our website, queerspodcast.com. You can also find the podcast... I don't know what I just did there. I have it no sounded like you said queerspodcast.com. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should just, maybe I should just keep that. Um, yeah. You, should, you can also find the podcast on our website, queerspodcast.com. Uh, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever your other podcast you know feed, where you get your podcast feed from. And please leave us a review and rating. It's a great way to help other people find us. I have increasingly been using Spotify to play podcasts, which yeah, is nice. Yeah, yeah. Martin uses and Spotify all the time. We're on Spotify now, which we weren't for ages. But now that we're with uh, the Fantastic Lip Media, our new podcast network, they have helped us get onto Spotify. So you can find us on Spotify. It's very fancy. Uh, you know, so I expect that uh, people should be listening to episodes so much that when the end of year list comes around that shows the top things that they've been listening to, we are right at the top, baby. So, uh, I mean, that's a big ask because you'd have to just listen to the same episode over and over again. But I challenge you to do it. Yeah, so uh, great, do that. <laughs> also, tell a friend. It's it's really the main way that people find podcasts because there are so many podcasts out there. And why on earth would you trust any sort of ad or anything that tells you something is good? Like, you basically just have to get someone that you trust and you know has similar taste to tell you that you should listen to something. So, if you have someone you think would like the podcast, uh, just make them listen to it. Thanks once again for listening and we'll be back in your ear holes in a couple of weeks. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 